0: The Durnion is a high-fantasy world, illuminated by exciting stories. The cry that he'd heard from beyond the battle-yard wall was one of four cries that Kylon and his pal had agreed on. Each type of bird or worm cry stood for a different time and place to meet. Kylon could only swear to the meanings of three. There was a fourth he sort of knew, which happened to be the Lanzig, the one he'd heard during his practice match. Based on his memorization of the cries, he was almost definitely positive he knew where to go. The tallest tree in all of Anamareth was to be his destination, and getting there soon was urgent. Yet Kylon was having trouble rousting himself from the shadows. All you have to do is look like you know where you're going. Kylon Pep talked himself. The Red Mysterian Fortress was not only a school but a full-blown military base, an insular fortification within the city that could serve as emergency garrison for the city-state of Androvna, whose capital was Enamorith. The outer wall rose to the height of three men and was well guarded by many Mysterians. But it was not as if Kylon's objective required him to clear the wall, and no one had ever stopped Kylon or any other student from simply walking out the front gate. So he wondered why he yet lingered in the dark, studying the path of the guard on patrol. Kylon was 55% certain this guard's name was Rowan. As all full Mysterians, Rowan was dressed shock-red from head to toe. Unlike the fading red that remained in the stone of the establishment's walls—officially it was the Red Fortress, after all—Rowan's red was the light, bright Mysterian red. Well, this side of pink, but far above the depths of blood. The symbolism went all the way back to the times of the Convergence. Inside the Red Fortress, they said so anyway. When at his soberest, Kylon believed the risk around popping out for an hour or so was minimal, even if a nagdaemon told him otherwise for a bit. All it would cost him to leave for a while was a bottle of liftmead, though he'd managed to retain a week of leeway on that account. He had promised Joram a bribe of the famous distilled spirits of the Plains people. The authorities had never stopped a student from leaving, and would not start now. Ultimately, he decided just to go for it. He strolled on out of the nook where he was procrastinating. Kylon's facial expression went pretty well. He had chosen a brief, friendly but absent smile rather than entirely foregoing eye contact. Because of the whole, that would be too easy thing. Rowan made the briefest dart of the eyes in Kylon's direction which reinforced how little any of his worries tonight mattered. After that, Rowan kept right on walking. No event had ever occurred in the man's life that was quite as inconsequential as Kylon leaving the grounds, the continuity of his stride seemed to say. Kylon, therefore, felt a little silly as he passed outward through the gate, setting foot beyond the establishment, in the city of Enamorath at large. The relief that rushed in was a double dose for Kylon realized that the only real hazard in the situation had been his own thoughts. Protos were all within two years of graduating, a year and a half for Kylon, as it happened, but even though they would soon enter the service of the royal government, some of them to sacrifice their very existence if circumstances called for it, they were, technically, disallowed from leaving the grounds most of the time. The friend who beckoned might be calling for something silly, but there was the chance it was some dire need of his. It infuriated Kylon that he had no way to know. Such was the range of the friend's inconsistent needs. If it was something big, Kylon definitely owed it. That was the one certainty. It was a certainty that held him prostrate for the minor, quibbling possibility that might actually await him. He sidestepped brightly clad vendors, idling beggars, and the odd fellow passerby in the night. He passed by the foot of the Monacon Hayaton, where he attended services every Sunday and which towered over him to ten stories. It was the tallest human-constructed building anywhere. Kylon guessed to walk down Landrieu any time between dusk and dawn would find the boulevard full of clamoring salespeople at their wheeled carts, drawn by the high concentration of potential customers. Near this center of the city's commerce, people came and went from the Monacan Hayaton, the establishment, the palace about a mile down the boulevard, and numerous other official shops and government sites in the same stretch. Whatever you might hope to buy in a city, it could be got here. That included tender delicacies, such as vat-fried cow steak skewers, the smell of which taunted Kylon. Sizzling beef was the strongest aroma that wafted in his direction. Noon tomorrow, his weekly stipend of two gold circles would be meted out, available at the burser. but till then he'd go without street cart meals. His destination was immediately visible after he cleared the corner of the monocon. The supernaturally tall tree toward which he headed stood north-northwest from the establishment. It was visible the city over, except, of course, when a building obstructed one's line of sight, For at least a half mile, the establishment's odd bricked wall ran to his right. At his cross street, it came to an end, and another mile's walk brought him where he wanted to be, the Didastra Arboretum. The Arboretum had been built as some kind of show of gratitude for the South Elves, who were the strongest allies of the Androvnans. Legend held that the Alliance had been strong since the beginning of human history, with the South Elves at least. The North Elves, who had branched from the Southern Sylvan society, had become their own distinct civilization long before the humans had built their cities. The North Elves lived differently from their distant southern cousins. Even more distinctly different were the evil Drow, who had subsequently branched off from the undemocratic and already reclusive North Elves. The South Elves liked trees and stuff. Therefore, the Didastra Arboretum was the most treeful place in all of Anamarith. The tallest trees rose much higher than, for example, the ten-story Monachon Heaton Temple. At the foot of the massive tree he sought, named for Algrodon, the founder of elven diplomacy, was a statue of the same woman, chiseled from white marble. It was the height of about four people, and Kylon felt it watched him as he crept into its presence. Algrodon pointed, almost as if showing where she wanted him to go. Knowing the elves and their love for layered symbolism, her gesture was probably aligned with some important destination. He had no idea about where. Behind Algrodon stood her tree, the Algrodon tree. It rose twice as high as any other, and was five times the girth of the next largest, or so it was said. Tree and statue were Kylon's landmark for his meeting. Paths crossed the terrain in labyrinthine ways that circled back on one another, but he had memorized a series of lefts and rights that should guide him to his sought locale. With his back to that of Algradon, he walked forward and took the series of turns he had hopefully memorized. I got it wrong, Kylon thought, on rounding the corner where he should have come in view of his friend. No one was there. He had misremembered the meaning of the call of the landzug Kylon decided to return to the statue and reiterate the tortuous directions, hoping with new urgency that his memory didn't fail him. Shortly after he restarted, he detected an unusual aroma, an odd-smelling smoke that lay outside of prior experience. It could have been tobacco, but with an oddly sharp twist that struck the sinuses deeply. He tasted the scent at the top of his throat, acrid and bizarrely tantalizing. He could not tell the direction of its source, but made a mental note of it. He walked a little further, though, and thought he saw a figure in the shadows. Only flittingly, unless it was a trick of Kylon's eye, this figure jetted down a cross path and was lost to him in the trees. Kylon noticed an adroit economy of motion in the figures dash out of sight, a deftness of foot that only a warrior with Kylon's training could appreciate on seeing so fleeting an exhibition. It reminded Kylon that he should probably go ahead and start maintaining Mysterion-like vigilance against all possible angles of attack. He was, after all, standing in a dark and secluded maze of a walkway, all visibility from the outside world obfuscated by the ageless trees. That happened. In the exact same instant That he felt a knife point in his ribs You think you're something special don't you Said the knife wielder I well yeah Answered Kylon, recovering the prowess that his red training had inculcated, Kylon sidestepped the knife, at the same time whirling and grabbing the wrist of the hand that held it. For a second, Kylon thought he was near besting his mysterious foe, but the hand he grasped snapped free with ease. The grip he'd used was a mysterian move, so the effectiveness of his assailant's maneuver surprised Kylon. "'What the?' he said. Adding to his confusion, the figure had disappeared again." melted into the shadows but with unconscious wariness kylon sensed motion nearby behind him he believed perhaps he was attuned to the slightest compression of the air nearly inaudible stirrings of the atmosphere at alerted times or perhaps it was pure instinct for the timing of a fellow good fighter or maybe just luck, but he predicted another attack from behind, a shove or a grab. Suppressing the tremendous urge to dodge, Kylon waited. The assailant did attack, and when he did, Kylon was prepared for the collision. Kylon perpetrated a pivot move with the swift forcefulness that only surprise can provide. He used the attacker's own momentum as a weapon against him. Kylon was now sure this was a him pulling them both to the ground, using one arm to guard against the likeliest knife angles. The attacker seemed to have put the weapon away, which he damned well better, lest he hurt himself. For Kylon certainly wasn't going to get cut tonight. A trail of blood back at the establishment would raise the chance of a cry and furor, especially if it led to Kylon's quarters. This line of thought was the faintest, the briefest for Kylon as he pinned his enemy, reversing his seeming lower hand. Slow down, because I'm afraid I'll accidentally Murder you, Kylon said. I'll take that to mean that I win, said the attacker, whose name was Talmo. And who had a prodigious talent for bird code and other arcana and useful schemes and unlikely gambits. Talmo was an orphan of the streets. He lived in what he said was the nicest hovel not only in Anamarith but in all of Androvna. Talmo and he were great friends, perhaps because Kylon was orphaned in his way. Kylon's parents were alive but hundreds of miles away. He had never lived with them and apparently they cared nothing for him. The erstwhile fighters rose and composed themselves. Talmo actually brushing some random evergreen needles from Kylon's shoulder. This is an elf-type place. You choose it because you're an elf, said Kylon. Could be that simple. I got pointed ears like her. Seeming to have considered the question rather seriously, he pointed at Algrodon's statue. Except we chose four places. Only one is elven, said Talmo. Yeah, and you're only a quarter elf. That works out, almost. You're doing arithmetic now. That's great, said Talmo, and he could have been genuinely pleased. Talmo was unceasingly earnest, but having known him for four years, Kylon had decided it was too much. Some of Talmo's kindness, the most enthusiastic, simply had to be ironic. Talmo reminded Kylon that his slightly pointed ears were the reason he wore the blue bandana around his head. Talmo practically sung the reminder in that kind of celebratory way of his, exuding that I'm Talmo, love me vibe that Kylon did love him for, and that was sometimes really annoying. The bandana cover up wasn't something Kylon would forget, though he was reputed with a great tendency to forget things. There was plenty of prejudice against elves. And any suffering by Talmo was of great consequence to Kylon. Hey, nice fight today in the yard, said Talmo, who was not a straight to business type. You must have had the adrenaline pumping big time to get up in the air like that. Is there a hole in the yard wall? How do you see? said Kylon. There's a hole, said Talmo. Kylon had thought it must have been so, though he was surprised. True, the battle yard was not enclosed within the massive fortress wall, which protected most of the complex. However, even this more diminutive wall was substantial. He didn't remember ever seeing the least insolubility or sign of repair. Thanks and all about the moves. Speaking of which, when you're ready to go again, let's, said Kylon. Hey, we don't really want to fight, said Talmo. He laughed, but Kylon judged that Talmo thought about such a contest once in a while. At times, his part-elven friend gave away that he seemed to hope he would win in such a fight. Only once had they clashed in earnest. It had occasioned their meeting each other, and the fight had been a draw. But Talmo believed he had won, and from time to time sized up Kylon, as if judging his might. Talmo probably imagined various scenarios, considering how well matched would be his own slithery, at times unfairly deceptive fighting style against Kylon's rigorously drilled military technique. So Right, said Talmo. I wanna go out tomorrow night. Relief rushed in for Kylon. He had been worried Talmo would want something stickier, though he wasn't sure what. Things could just be fraught when you had a great close friend with Talmo's eccentricities. If he only wanted to engage in revelry, as the two did from time to time, that was simple enough. Simple, at least, compared with Kylon's vague fears about the request. I could see that happening. Probably. There is one thing. (laughs) All right, what's the catch? Said Talmo. I... I know we've discussed this before, this thing I'm about to mention. It's not that I distrust you, said Kylon. Just spit it out, man, said Talmo. And even if I did, like, mistrust you or something, that would be more about me than about you. My baggage, if you will, said Kylon. The one and the good, man, said Talmo, which was sort of like saying, Jesus Christ. Look, if it's about money, it's the same for me as it's ever been. No, I always assume that you have no money. Don't look so downtrodden, said Kylon. I can only tell you in one language that I don't hold money against you. Basically, you're not going to try to get me to help you look for that treasure again, are you? Said Kylon. We're going to the death drum. My only plan is to drink and dance, said Talmo. Well, that would be a great idea, but that club is banned, said Kylon. Does that make it any less fun? Any less cool? Try to be a little more Dagnar, a little less, less afraid of your master Mysterion, said Talmo. The boys had a running competition over whose attitude best emulated Dagnar Prospero, a character of the enamoreth stage. Dagnar was an often drunk, always brilliantly sarcastic layabout. He had few cares, but possessed even fewer professional prospects. And didn't give a damn about finding any. That was the backbone of his coolness. His brilliant wit just heightened his worthiness as role model for the two young men. The charge of being undagnar, for all of those reasons, discomforted Kylon pretty deeply. He must be taking the fictive admiration a little too seriously. He laughed, buying a little time, trying not to reveal his awkward quandary. It occurred to Kylon that their anti hero was funniest when he turned the tables. Dagnar, Kylon said, wouldn't be chasing around the coolest social clubs in the first place. Well, said Talmo, mustering his rejoinder, he paused with an upheld finger of objection, but then nothing. I guess you have a point there. He creates his own cool, said Talmo. Now that we've established who's undagnar, I think you got me wrong, actually. The ban on the club doesn't scare me, said Kylon. I meant it's impossible to go there. Melvin's shut them down a year ago. Remember when the raid and the jailings first went down? Ah, "'Ancient history in addition to arithmetic. "'Now, friend, see, you're real lucky we're pals, "'cause I can get us into the death drum "'at the new hush-hush location,' said Talmo. Kylon might not have believed it, but the quarter-elf rarely failed to fulfill a claim. Further, he had impressed Kylon a dozen times with his street contacts. Best times of my young adult life, muttered Kylon. About to begin again at the death drum, Kylon said. Ineluctably strong, his excitement rose. It grew at the same rate that tonight's doubt diminished. His dubiousness about this meeting, his trust issues with Talmo, these slid from his mind like morning snow from an afternoon rooftop. The brass rights if he visited the illicit club would be substantial. Another knockdaman in his brain already planned tangential ways to mention the death drum in conversation with his schoolmates, forming witty vagaries that would trigger questions like, oh, and what did you do Friday night, Kylon? Yeah. I'm lucky, said Kylon, but at least I have an allowance, the boys laughed. They discussed the when and where, Friday evening, and they would meet outside the gates of the establishment. Talmo told Kylon where they would go from there. He didn't know every turn of the way Talmo described, but recognized that the secret locale was just a few minutes' walk from the establishment. In a conversational lapse after their meeting plans, Talmo produced from within his worn black robe a small, perfectly rectangular prism. When he flipped it open, Kylon saw that one end was hinged to allow cargo. That cargo Kylon saw, when Talmo pointed it at him in a moment, consisted of small tubes that were perfectly identical, perfectly round. With a slick, slight gesture, Talmo passed a cylinder from box to mouth. He held it there between his lips as he snapped a flame spontaneously into existence, then held one end of the tube in the flame. Kylon could not see how he'd managed the tiny fire. That was when Talmo held the box forth, "'proffering this strange experience to Kylon. "'I'll see how you fare with that first, my friend,' said Kylon. "'The smell was the the back-of-the-throat acridity "'that had preceded their scuffle. "'His plucky pal was always coming up "'with new weird trinkets and gadgets, "'in this case, smoking materials. "'Hey, I never got an answer from you "'on that treasure thing,' said Kylon. (sighs) "'What could the death drum have to do "'with Andrivian treasure?' said Talmo. "'Good.' Good, said Kylon. So, you got anything? Said Talmo. What do you mean, do I got anything? Said Kylon. But he felt himself blush and knew just what Talmo meant to ask about. If you studied the flotative tense last week, you probably got asked about the dominative tense this week, said Talmo. (laughs) Whatever, said Kylon, and handed over the quiz that he had stashed in his vest. It was pointless to feel weird, yet Kylon still could not help needing some rigmarole to introduce his request for help. In addition to training to fight, which was badass... The Red Mysterians were lamely forced to study language, history, and other subjects. The lessons were the bane of Kylon's happiness. As deftly as he'd produced the small box, Talmo took an inking fescue from a presumable pocket in his careworn cloak. Crouching to use the ground as a desk, he ticked through the quiz in about 20 seconds. Kylon had pored over it for an hour with zero progress. Maybe it had to do with being part elf, but the guy was a language genius. He folded the completed quiz into three sections, decisive and quick, as if this were some accepted shape for the exchange and portage of documents. He handed it back to Kylon, who didn't accept it. Help me understand, requested Kylon, With nerves shattering readiness, Talmo grinned and pivoted. Let us sit. He made a sweeping gesture of invitation in the direction of the black base of Algrodon's statue. The way Talmo explained the material just made so much sense. By the end of their session, Kylon experienced revelations that Professor Nikailos never could have inspired. The prof was dry, which was an ongoing difficulty. More recently, Rebecca, a new student, a hot student, attended the same linguistics course, not that they had even spoken yet. Kylon still wasn't risking a lot of eye contact just yet. He did dare peripheral glances, but also tended closely to his own facial expression, just in case she should glance in his direction. He made sure to don looks that radiated intellect, but also about 30% boredom. Kylon didn't know why that was the most attractive facial expression that existed, But it was. He'd had occasion to reflect on the subject, since it was the expression Rebecca always wore. But whether Rebecca was in his vicinity or not, the prof was puzzling, and the conjugation of converged rubic verb forms would ever defy Kylon, no matter how many towering enemies he foe slew in the battle yard.